This is NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 15. Today's guest is Stuart Rogers, a NASA aerospace engineer who works in the Advanced Supercomputing Division here at NASA Ames. We cover the origins of supercomputing at NASA and how technology drives exploration, especially for the journey to Mars. We also go into detail about his recent NASA Software of the Year Award and how this software helps both NASA and the aeronautics industry. Here is Stuart Rogers. What brought you to Silicon Valley? What brought you to NASA in general? How did you get here? I've been at Ames since the 1980s. I got an opportunity to come here uh, as part of a master's program. I was a senior at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Okay. And there was an opportunity to um, come come here as a student uh, yeah. to work on my master's for a two-year program. Was it to Ames or was it just at NASA in general? Uh, to Ames specifically. Oh, wow. And I'd never heard of Mountain View or anything. Look it up on the map. It's like, <laughs> wow, it's around, you know, surrounded by... A lot less snow than in, than in Boulder. Yeah. And it's, you have to drive a lot further to go skiing and... And so what were you working on for, for your master's? So this was um, under um, the field of computational fluid dynamics. Okay, that's quite a mouthful. Back in the 80s, <laughs> uh, Ames was a center for the development of computational fluid dynamics, okay. uh, as well as Langley Research Center. And so okay. it was a healthy competition, if you will, between the centers. So for somebody who's completely coming into it, what is computational fluid dynamics? So computational fluid dynamics, yeah. or CFD, is essentially the science of solving the mathematical equations that govern fluid dynamics on a computer. Okay. And the whole reason you would do this is sort of the same reason you might build a wind tunnel. Okay. So imagine anything that you might want to test in a wind tunnel to understand the aerodynamics or, or acoustics or anything like that. You could also theoretically simulate it in a in computer, computer and get perhaps even more detailed information than the wind tunnel. However, the interesting thing is that the mathematical equations, they're yeah. nonlinear non par partial differential equations. Okay. <laughs> very difficult to solve. Yeah, and it sounds difficult. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it, it at the time in the 80s, it was a, a, a growing science and really the pioneers of this, uh, of developing the, C the software for CFD really worked at Ames. So many of the people that developed all the algorithms were here. Really? So before even like you, you set up these algorithms and you have the computer running these tests, the, did you have to study the actual, like, I, I'm sure there's actual hands-on tests of fluid dynamics where you submerge things maybe with dye or something like that. Did you have to like study through all that stuff and figure out the real deal first or how, how does that work? Well, it's, it's actually an interesting sort of split. I mean, as an undergraduate, yeah, you do a lot of uh, study of fluid dynamics and different things, including the wind tunnel. But when you start to specialize in, in yeah. doing CFD, for example, all the people that work in CFD generally stay behind the monitor working on the computer, whereas all the people that are doing work in the wind tunnels are, you know, the wind tunnel jockeys that are doing their yeah. work in the wind tunnels. And so the great thing about Ames is that we have such great wind tunnel facilities, and we yeah. have had for such a long time, is that there's a real synergy between the two. Um, and so the types of the type of work that we did as we were first developing CFD is we had to validate that. We had okay. to validate the models uh, in the first place. And so 
we developed, we worked with the wind tunnel people in a lot of instances to build a test Mm -hmm. that we could then simulate in the computer and compare the answers and make sure that we were on the right track. I mean, obviously building a wind tunnel is like a big endeavor. Um, We have a couple, we have a few here at Ames, but even you imagine building this is such a thing. If you have a computer model that can accurately depict that stuff, then it's easier. <laughs> it's a matter of running running the system. Was the original? I mean, was the original intention to kind of replace these wind tunnels? Is that what people were hoping for back in the '80s when they were first contemplating this? Or well, and and that was really a big controversy. There was even a paper written by uh, some people at Ames that predicted we would be able to replace wind tunnels uh, within a certain time frame, and while. CFD has matured tremendously, and a lot of aerodynamic data that programs need are now being generated on the computer. You just cannot replace wind tunnel tests. So they really work together. So it's kind of like going to the back of the book for answers. (laughs) I imagine you run the test, and just to make for sure you're on the right track, then you run it into a wind tunnel or or the fluid tests to see if like, oh, yay, (laughs) like it checks out. That's true in in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, what are some it, cases where that doesn't work out? So for some some cases that are just the physics are so difficult to actually simulate. Yeah. For example, I currently work for the Space Launch System Program or SLS, and some Which will of the, take us to Mars. Yes. Exactly. We're going to take humans out of low Earth orbit for the first time yeah. since the Apollo program. Um, some of the aerodynamics that we need to know about. In particular, imagine the rocket on a launch pad Mm -hmm. as it takes off, and it has to take off with some wind. And so you have essentially the flow coming from the side, and then as it takes off, going past the launch pad, it transitions to the flow going, you know, past the nose. Yeah. And it's at at very low speed, um, and understanding that, and then in term being able to understand like what's the maximum winds that you can actually launch in what environment you know are you allowed to launch in that's a really difficult problem from the fluid dynamics point of view yeah and so a lot of those data are being generated in in wind tunnels whereas we just can't do that in cfd it takes too long it's just too complicated and i'd imagine running after you run some things you know run the computer model do it and does that help i imagine the wind tunnels help adjust and tweak the algorithm, to, or, or at least to perfect it, or things that you didn't see. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, are there cases where, like, you've had to, I mean, something comes out completely unexpected that, you, you know, um, you're anticipating something in the computer model, it's running great, and then when you actually test it, you're like, oh, no, this is completely off. Like, what's going on here? Absolutely. Uh, we still have surprises. Sometimes the wind tunnel data looks okay and then you run the cfd and then you compare them and you study yeah. it in depth and you go hey the wind tunnel had some interference here from the walls or there was a shock wave being generated that reflected back in other okay. cases in the the cfd we run that and find that um, our turbulence modeling was way off and we completely missed the physics and did the you know the wrong answer which is why you really continue to need you know both tools in order to make sure you understand the flow physics. Wow, so we, we totally jumped in on this because I wanted to know more about your background, but this is really cool stuff. So like, so when you're at Boulder, you're doing your master's program, was it literally just like a job you saw at Ames and you just went online and applied, or did you have like 
contacts, you knew somebody, come um, on over. So interestingly, the uh, former dean of engineering um, at the University of Colorado had taken a job a year or two before mm-hmm. at NASA Ames, and he developed a program to bring in graduate students from okay. Colorado. So I was this program was in the in the second year so I was the second person to do this. Oh wow. And it was a two year program where I came out here for the summer in 1983 okay. and did a lot of reading and research and then went back and took my master's classes for 9 months in, in Boulder and then came out to Ames for a full year and with the goal of writing a dissertation. Okay. And got to work with <laughs> a group that was developing a CFD uh, software code. And I uh, worked with that group extensively and learned yeah. a tremendous amount. And so that's kind of you how guys I basically started. built this. You built it up from scratch. So how spoiled are the new people that come in <laughs> who've only been working on, you know, who've been, had computers all their like the like these high sophisticated computers their whole careers and you know. Well, and I mean to give you an idea, when I first was taking my first computer class as an undergraduate, we were still using punch cards. Nice. I mean, you couldn't even get <laughs> on a terminal to interact directly with the computer. And so it was very much a batch mode oriented yeah. thing. And I mean, just to get your code to compile might take, you know, a week. Yeah. Just because the slow turnaround. Um, and then even the first couple of years here, we had a lot of people working in building 202A. Okay. Um, we had six or seven people per room and two terminals in each room. So we would have to, <laughs> to either team up and figure it out. A lot of people, you know, come Take in terms. early or stay late and, you know, get to be able to get access to the computer and, and uh, to be able to do the work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and then eventually that team, is that what became what, I mean, at NASA Ames, we have a supercomputing team. Is that the group that basically became the everybody that works on supercomputing, or is it different? Or? It's so the the computer science part of it has generally been either in a different division or a different branch. Okay. However, currently I am in one of the branches in the supercomputing division. Yeah. So we're known as NAS or the NASA Advanced Supercomputer Center. Okay. And we have what is now the world's 15th fastest supercomputer okay. known as Pallades. Nice. Because um, it's, a, it's a cluster of uh, cores nice. of over 200,000 cores all working together as a single computer. So oh, wow. uh, as I heard your podcast <laughs> talking about Pallades and which yeah. is a cluster of stars. So anyway, that's, that's, it's a cluster a, of computers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the best part about having a supercomputer and being able to run the stuff, it's like, it's not good enough just to have it for the sake of having it, being able to put it into applications, whether it's aeronautics or whether it's science to be able to use the supercomputer to validate and run tests to see how these things work. You'd mentioned the the SLS, you know, running those simulations. Are there other things that you guys run? Do you do it for airplanes? Do you do it for other other types of spacecraft or? Yes, absolutely. And and in fact, our branch, we have people that are supporting uh, virtually all the mission directorates. Um, we okay. have a fairly large presence doing CFD for aeronautics. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually across the agency um, that aeronautics is fairly you know, busy using CFD to do a lot of the things that it does. Um, and and then in a more broad sense, the supercomputer is used for all kinds of things from studying the origins of the universe to studying 
uh, mm-hmm. climate uh, on the Earth with you know those Earth climate models and ocean circulation models, that kind of thing. Kepler does a lot of its post-processing um, okay. on the Pallades supercomputer. Oh wow, yeah, because it's taking in so much data that like people can't even possibly sort through it. So running it through the supercomputer makes sense. Well, if you have one on hand, it's a good thing to use. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's the great thing about the the NAS facility is basically we've kind of grown from this um, desire to do CFD mm-hmm. and to bring in computers that, that help us in that endeavor to actually now being the agency's lead in supercomputing. So the NAS facility yeah. supplies supercomputing cycles to the entire agency. Okay. And each mission directorate gets a percentage of the machine, and it's up to the mission directorate to then when send out the quotas it. to each uh, principal investigator to whatever project wants it, they, they can apply, and then the mission directorate decides you know how every, how much time each person gets. So we now have of course, a much bigger facility because we're NASA actually pays for the facility mm-hmm. uh, kind of through overhead. So it doesn't actually cost the each project doesn't have to okay, pay good. directly. So for it's its not like that has time. to be implemented into their budget. It's just a part of exactly they, it's like having a desk or the building. It's a part of it. <laughs> exactly. You get you get a bunch of uh, here's a chunk of computing time that you get. Now go, you know, go do, go do it. <laughs> good things with it. <laughs> Wow. So, okay. So for somebody who's completely, you know, layman, you know, what's the big difference between the computer that they have at home and what makes it super? Is it literally just the cores and processing power or is there something different that that, that brings it all together? Actually, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> yeah. between the two because in order to scale up and get faster and faster computers, mm-hmm. we found that we had to add more processors and basically process things in parallel. Okay. And in order to do that, we now have, for example, over 200,000 cores. The most economical way to do that is to use commodity items such as Intel Xeon chips, which are kind of the high end of Intel processors, but which you might find in a typical PC. Okay. Um, But the point is is that we take tens of thousands of these nodes. (laughs) Yeah and put them all together with a very sophisticated networking capability. Okay. And that's what really sort of makes it super is the ability to literally cluster all of these nodes together. Excellent. So to brag about you a little bit, do you, do you, get, you got some award recently or? Yeah. Yes, go for it. So I was recently awarded uh, the NASA Software of the Year Award. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we're uh, co-winners with a team from Langley. Um, the software that uh, this is something that's been developed over the past 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are two other co-developers that were contractors at the time yeah. in, in the late 1990s that we decided we wanted to write this software. Yeah. And essentially, it's a, it's a preprocessor for the CFD processing that we do. Okay. And it's, it's fairly esoteric in that it <laughs> hard to describe, but it takes, we take a complex geometry with all the yeah. different parts and we sort of break them up into different chunks and generate what we call grids, which are just a series of structurally connected points that fill Com- the entire volume around the vehicle that allow us to solve the equations on that grid. Okay. And the the difficult part is that with the complex geometry, it's hard to build these yeah. grids 
um, so that they all kind of fit together. Yeah. So there's an approach to this called overset CFD, where you kind of randomly, uh, you build a bunch of independent grids that randomly overlap each other. And that kind of relieves a lot of the constraints to building those grids. S but in turn, you need to make them talk to each other. So you, okay. you find how they interconnect you have to cut holes, and then you have to create uh, interpolation stencils to pass data between the the overlapping zones, and then that all gets passed into the flow solver, which okay. solves the equations and gives you the answers, gives you the error and kind of helps prep the, the information. Is this exactly. not too this too sim is it similar to I've heard of the salesman dilemma of computing, where it's like you know you have all of the places that the salesperson has to go to, or the post office, or whatever it is, and it, like you know. For a computer to run every single possibility, it just would take forever and generate a lot of heat. Is this similar to that, or am I completely off base? It, it's <laughs> it's somewhat different than that. It's okay. It's basically that you have all these millions of points out there, and at their surf at their edges, they have to talk to each other. Okay, and so you need to search all the surrounding grids to find where where they actually can talk to each other and provide interpolation yeah. stencils that allow the two zones to sort of communicate with each other. And, and it gets very complex if you yeah. can imagine trying to put a grid around an entire aircraft, including the oh, engine, yeah. nacelles, uh, the pylons, wings, fuselage, tail, and all the other little parts that you see hanging off an airplane. Yeah. For example, when you're landing and you and the aircraft goes into high lift mode and it the flaps the, the, the flaps start curving and the slats down. deploy yeah so you have all these multiple bodies interacting and a lot of interesting physics and a lot of what drives the aircraft design is dependent on being able to build mm -hmm. an efficient high lift system and and actually land the aircraft so that actually trying to solve high lift aerodynamics was one of the was the main genesis for wanting to write the Pegasus 5 software that we just okay. won the award for. So that and that was being done in the in the late 90s. Oh, wow, so how long has it, has it been in process since then of making this software and perfecting this software all the way until 2016 you win the you win the award? Yeah, exactly. It's been in process since like the late 90s of pulling the software together? That's right. We we wrote a contract to uh, a company to write the prototype for this version. Okay. Um, some of the developers of previous versions of the software had a, a number of great ideas they wanted to yeah. try. So they kind of wrote from scratch a new version of the code and it automated some of the processes so well. And and then we further, we took delivery of it at NASA and then continued to develop it. Tweak it, perfect it, yeah. Fix all the bugs and then add more features and, and then really add, add some more functionality to it. But this was a collaborative effort between Boeing, NASA, and then McDonnell Douglas, which by the end of the program had merged with Boeing. But we have continued to work with Boeing engineers, for example, yeah. and this software has been developed as part of their aerodynamic analysis process okay and they still use it today and that's kind of one of the reasons that was a big deal for the winning the award was that we have you uh, heavy use of it in nasa as well as industry boeing has used it on every aircraft they've designed over the past 10 years yeah. so it it's it, it's shown a kind of a, a really good return for in that part. Yeah, a lot it, of value. They, they tend to say like NASA's with you when you fly, <laughs> but this is literally thing. So it's not only for the SLS for these rockets, for spacecraft 
and, and for future airplanes. This is like current. This is Boeing. These are normal commercial people can come in and use take advantage of the supercomputer of the wind tunnels even mm-hmm. to help you know to help do their jobs. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, NASA definitely helped develop a lot of the technology that is in use mm-hmm. um, when for aerospace companies developing their their products. And uh, and of course it's matured tremendously since then, but um, you know a lot of a lot of the techniques had their genesis uh, at NASA. Okay, cool. So if anybody who's interested in learning more about what you're doing about the supercomputing, where's probably the easiest place to go? Just go to nasa.gov and search away. <laughs> if you go to our division's website at nas.nasa.gov. Okay. There's uh, links to all, er, everything we do. Everything in the weeds that you could possibly right. think of. <laughs> well, it, there's um, you know pretty good website on the high-end computing capability. That's, okay. And it talks about the Pallady supercomputer and, mm-hmm. and everything that we have in the division. Um, and from there, you can get links to all kinds of fascinating applications that, that are being done on the computer. So. Excellent. So and for anybody who has questions for Stu, want to follow up on on anything, um, we're on Twitter, at NASA Ames. We are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. This is fascinating, Stu. We'll have to have you come back just to, because I know we haven't even scratched the surface. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Mm-hmm.